Today we have reached the last part of the letter of Paul to the Philippians. And the last part to me is actually one of the most breathtaking parts of the letter. It's a staggering witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the life of a man who has literally been mangled to years of abuse, injustice, slander, derogatory backstabbing. As you could notice a little bit in the letter to the Corinthians where they have blasted him for being a false apostle or a false preacher. And this is the man who writes this last part of this letter to the Philippians. It's not a wish list of a needs man, needy man who needs this or that. It's not, it doesn't even sound like the wish list of a needy person in prison. It reads like a thank you note of a wealthy man living in the palace. And you know, and I know, that this man was writing this from a dungeon, from a prison, under the thread of the martyr death. You'll notice not a single request. Not a single request. There is not a single complaint. But everything he writes is upbeat, is positive, it's inspiring about the God to whom he gives all glory, as he says in verse 20, now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. May I invite you to turn to Philippians 4, please. And let's pick up at verse 10. And we'll read just to verse 13 today, and hear the word of God, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to, I know how to abound. For everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now may God indeed bless our, our thoughts this morning on this. And raise up such a witness as this man here gives us in these few words. And let's think together about the contented mind, the beauty of contentment. Now, first of all, it's a grace that rejoices. We see the verse 10. But I rejoice greatly. Secondly, it's a grace that's learned. And there's two words that Paul uses in verse 11. I have learned. And in verse 12, 12, 
I am instructed. So that's third, second type of that. It's a grace learned. And thirdly, it's a grace rooted in Christ. For I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now that's last in the list, but first. Before anything else comes. This is where it comes from, the root. So it's a grace rooted in Christ. The beauty of contentment and grace that rejoices. You know, this letter was intentionally written as a thank you letter. We've noted before, there was really no real reason that Paul wrote this, that there were concerns, of course, in the church of Philippi. Yes, there were somewhat divisions. There were some disagreements. But what else do you expect? Every church is outside of paradise. So, you know, we're going to all have that in all our churches throughout the world's history. There will be troubles and trials and challenges. But it was not a particular error. There was not a particular you know, real issue that Paul needed to raise is really a thank you letter in which the apostle shared what bubbles up out of his heart through the Holy Spirit and we have seen there's so much in this letter. One of my one said to me, I don't know how you can how you can preach thirty four sermons on this on this little letter. Well we're almost there. Maybe 36, maybe 37. But I think I haven't even started to scratch this sermon, this whole letter after 37 sermons. Right? This is so full. But anyway, it was a letter to give thanks. You notice verse 10. I rejoice greatly that, that your care of me flourished again. And I didn't read, but verse 18. I have all and abound. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus, the things which were sent from you. And we'll look at that passage uh, next week. Yeah, it took a little while, of course, after Paul was imprisoned in Rome for the Philippi to hear about it and for Philippi to send their care package to Paul. And it might have been hindered for some odd reason for a while, as verse 10 indicates. But finally, finally, it was delivered at his doorstep. And that's the background of this letter. But notice what happens in verse 10. Sometimes we read too quick. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein you also were careful, but you lacked opportunity. Though Paul wrote this moving thank you note to them, His joy was not centered on the Philippians. His joy was not centered upon what the Philippians did. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Paul teaches us this morning to remember that whatever good comes in your life, It is the Lord's doing. And you notice that Paul did not fail to notice the sovereign hand of God in every detail. In the good 
But also, he's consistent, isn't he? In the bad. We like to think of God's providence always in connection with the nice things that happen. In God's providence, I got better. In God's providence, I escaped the accident. In God's providence, I got a paycheck rise. Or in God's providence, I received a job. But we don't typically say, in God's providence, I had an accident. In God's providence, I got sick. In God's providence, I lost my job. For some odd reason, we then kind of shove God's providence off the shelf. Wrong. Let's be taught by Paul. Let's be reminded what our catechism says, sickness and health, riches and poverty, everything comes out of the hand of the Father Almighty. And Paul never, I shouldn't say never, Paul here is not losing sight of that as he sits in prison. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. God was supplying him through the Philippians that came with the care package. Now, if you page back for a moment to 2 Corinthians 7, you see something similar. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is saying something about himself there. He says in verse 5, when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. I, I wasn't at ease. But we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings and within were fears. Nevertheless, notice what he says. God that comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. He didn't say, oh, and just on that moment, Titus dropped in. That was so wonderful. He just came at the right moment to have a little time with me and to lift me up. No, Paul says, God who comforted me, sent Titus. Now, let's ask ourselves this morning. Are we making that connection with heaven's throne and everything that happens in our lives? Everything, good and bad. If we want to learn to be content, this is where it starts. Do I live in the faith of God's providence? Paul lived in that solid faith. That God's sovereign control rules over every aspect. And if you, now back to verse 4 of the chapter Philippians 4. Notice he said, rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Now he's practicing what he's preaching. Paul is telling us by his own example, brethren, this is possible. It is possible for us to rejoice always in every circumstance. How? By the power of God whom we believe. That solid faith that Paul had, but I rejoiced. I didn't only rejoice in the Lord. Notice it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He was just like a little child. He's just so happy with whatever came to the door to him. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Are we defined as a Christian 
by our joy. That's a question, isn't it? Are we defined as a Christian by our joy as we trace every event to him? When someone sends us a card, when someone sends us an encouraging word, when someone provides us a non-judgmental listening ear, when someone drops us a visit, do we rejoice in the Lord greatly? And that's easier than when no one drops in and no one gives an encouraging word. And all men forsake you, as Paul did write in the second letter to Timothy. All men forsook me, and I stood all alone there. And yet, I've learned whatsoever state I am. Therewith to be content. How beautiful when our cup is empty, when our life is hit with the difficulties that we can learn to say the Lord gave, the Lord took. Blessed be the name of the Lord. At that moment, Job was content. And we know that he didn't stay in that state all the time. But that's the gift that God gave him on that moment. That's unearthly congregation. That is totally unearthly. That is so unhuman. To have these things happen and to have this happen and to have the record in your life that Paul wrote about by, uh, kind of reluctantly, you notice that in the reading of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, reluctantly he lists the things that, that he's gone through. And I'm sure it's the tip of the iceberg. This list, tip of the iceberg. There's so much more in this. When he writes and recites those things without all the things that come upon me daily, the care of the churches, and I'm weak and I'm offended, I burn out. So, it's unhuman. This, this is not something that you, indeed, have of yourself. But let's make, an, let's make this an area of our growth for a contented heart. Not only has a continual feast themselves, but a contented heart. It's like a field of sunflowers for everybody else to. Just picture that in your mind. A brilliant field of sunflowers. We don't hear complaining about this man. We don't hear grumbling. Nothing of it. I have so thoroughly enjoyed Walking to this field of sunflowers in Philippians. Let's ask ourselves this morning, children of God, am I such a field of sunflowers? Content in my heart, breathing it out wherever. And whatever condition I would be in. Let's sing together first. Psalm 71. 
Jehovah is my light. Let's sing verse 1. And my salvation near. Who shall my soul affright or cause my heart to fear? Now that's, again, like Paul Hart, isn't it? So 71 verse 1. Now, it's a grace that is learned. Let's move on to verse 11. Now that I speak in respect of want, all of a sudden, it seems Paul realizes something, that verse 10 could be open to misinterpretation. It, it, it could be that this autobiographical witness in verse 11 is just written to avoid a misinterpretation of his joy in verse 10. They might think, oh, yeah, yeah, see, there's Paul again. He's only joyful when he gets a care package. Ah, that's of course. We all would feel joy. There's nothing special about that. And they could interpret verse 10 as a weakness. Ah, oh, finally I rejoice so greatly again. They might have forgotten to read in the Lord. And so that's why he moves on to verse 11. And 12 and 13. He wants to clear himself from this misinterpretation. And so he says in verse 11, I am totally satisfied, if I just paraphrase the verse. I am not missing anything and I am completely content and at ease with my situation no matter what. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound and everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry and to abound and to suffer need. And if you read on with me in verse 18, he adds a little, but I have all and I abound and I am full. So no need for misinterpretation. Though the apostle is surrounded with the exceeding riches of Rome, yet while he sits in prison, his contentment in that place makes him richer than any man in the city of Rome with all the gold and silver, right? This is him. I know. I've learned. I'm contented. I am completely satisfied. I am at ease. 
Let's just read that one eleven and 12 one more time. I just picture this man sitting there in that prison. Not that I speak in respect of any lack, any want, any lack. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That means, brethren, if your care package would have never arrived, I would have been just as happy. Though maybe not as full. Though maybe not as satisfied in my stomach. I know how to both be abased and how to be bound. The word abased here is the same word of chapter 2, verse 6, 7, about Jesus. When he came from heavenly glory and he came into human humiliation. And verse 8, he's humbled himself, he abased himself. I know how to be Based. I know how to be trampled, to be rejected, to be forgotten, to be forsaken. And I know how to abound. I have learned that. I've been instructed to be content. Would you not, would you not want to have a jewel of joy like this? You know, Paul is a man of joy. No, no. He's not like us who are consumers of joy. Paul is an habitation of joy. And it comes out of his life to others. We, let's be honest, we're consumers of joy. We want joyful things and we consume them. And we still grumble. We still complain. Paul is not like that. This man is living joy. You know why that is? Why is that children? Why can this man be like that? Ah, there's someone living in him. Christ Jesus, by the Spirit, lives and dwells within this man's heart. And so, we need to ask ourselves, how did Paul get this contentment? Don't think it's just a natural tendency. That he was a good-natured man and he was just easygoing. You know, he's like the Kiwis. Oh, I'll be right. That kind of an attitude. That's not Paul. He was not at all like that. He was an ambitious man. He had an agenda. He would fight for it. And he did that. Still, the end of his life. But in a different way, with a different focus and with a different mindset. So it's not a natural tendency. He's not just a self-controlled man. This is not a fruit of having a good talk with yourself and making the right choices and saying, now just shape up, Paul, and just take this as it is. That is not what this is. Far from it. Paul never boasted in himself that he could handle anything. Secondly, this contentment is not just stoic, like Teflon. Nothing would stick to this man. Don't think that Paul is just a statue saint of marble. No, friend. This man knows joy and grief. This man knows pain. This man knows gladness. Just like us all. 
He is a man of flesh and bone. He knows joy and sorrow. And he would feel better about lovely things than about unlovely things. How do I know that? Well, 2 Corinthians 7 to 10, as we just read this evening, uh, this morning, gives us this whole list, isn't it? Of the apostle. And in chapter 10, no, sorry, chapter 12, verse 7, we read that he wasn't so happy with the thorn in his flesh. That hurt. Whatever that was, it was painful, difficult, and he prayed about it three times, that the God of heaven would relieve him from this messenger of Satan that was buffeting him. So we know he knew pain. We know that he longed for some relief of whatever that thorn was. But our text says, I have learned, I have been instructed. Now the word instructed is an interesting word. It's a word that Paul has borrowed from the heathen religion. The word instructed is a word that comes out of these mystery religions in which you are initiated. Kind of like the, like the Masons, you know, they have these initiation layers. You get deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart of the Freemasons. It becomes more and more murky and dark. Now, that word Paul used in this text, I have been initiated. Little by little, step by step, God has taught me. He has learned me this secret. Yeah, literally the word is, I have made my way up into this mystery, this secret of how to be content in whatsoever state I am. That implies, of course, that he didn't learn this in one day. He didn't learn this on the way to Damascus. Boom, there it is. From that moment on, he's contented. Don't think that. He's here at the end of his life, his end of his ministry. He has gone through ups and downs to your congregation. He's learned the way we learn how to walk, didn't we? We got up and we fell and we hurt our head against the coffee table and then we bumped here and there and finally we learned to walk. Paul learned contentment the same way. And slowly, little by little, the Holy Spirit enabled him. Every bump in the road and every loss and setback and every shift in the circumstances and every beating he received and every shipwreck and every peril, he finally learned that God of heaven is in control of this. And I don't need to worry. Neither ought I to complain, for I know that all these things work together for my good and for his glory. I know. I have learned. I have been instructed. This is one of these wonderful, spiritual, mature Christians that speaks here in this testimony. Quiet resignation to the will of God. You know, Paul only obtained that as he got to know his Jesus more and more. 
I do not know who this quote is from anymore. But I read this years ago and I wrote it in one of my notes. It could be Spurgeon. It could be someone else. But he says this. Would you lose your sorrows? Would you drown your cares? Then go and plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his bigness, God's bigness. And you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul and so calm the swelling billows and sorrows of grief and so speak my peace to the winds of trial as a devout mind musing, thinking on the subject of God and his attributes. Wonderful counsel. Ignorance of God is the greatest cause of misery. And so, this apostle is initiated in what? In all the secrets of God's providence? No. He no doubt died with many questions. Lord, I don't know why this was allowed and how this works together. And I don't see any profit perhaps either. But he knows it will profit. Because he knows the God of heaven is sovereign and wise and good. Good is what Lamentations 3 writes. After this long list of the Lord has done this and the Lord has done that, the Lord has caused this and the Lord has done that. And then Jeremiah burst out and the Lord is good. Good. Paul is instructed in who God is. And therefore, friends, if we want to attain this contentment, don't think my circumstances need to change. That will never make you content. Contentment is to know God and his son, Jesus Christ. For didn't Jesus say, that is life eternal. And I remind you, life eternal, that must be good, joyful, peaceful, loving, Contented. Let's sing. Psalm 234, verse 4, before we do our last thought on that. In mercy, turn and look on me, thy servant, true, thy chosen me. Let me thy great salvation see. Yeah? I was thinking of that phrase, let me see thee, Lord, thy great salvation, thy glory, and strengthen me, my course to run. 234, let's sing that prayerfully, verse 4.
Now let's look at the last thought, the root of this contentment is the grace is there's a grace rooted in, in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Is how Paul concludes his testimony. It's nothing about him. Paul's confession is the experiential counterpart of Jesus' declaration in John fifteen four. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot bring forth any fruit, not a single one, without being united to me. Now, this is the experiential counterpart in the life of Paul. Indeed, Paul says, I can do nothing except I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Not the best of saying. Is able to live to God's glory. And therefore Jesus, I think 14 times in John 15 says, Abide in me, abide in me. That means look to me, listen to me, lean on me, and live through me. That's the secret of bearing fruit. Look, listen, learn, lean, live, and all, all else, remember? All else. Look, listen, learn, lean, live. Out of and unto Jesus. Now, when Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, that's a general universal truth, but, you know, honestly, we need to keep it to the context. Here it is referring particularly to discontentment. I can do all things. I can be content in every circumstance through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You know, while Paul is meditating in his journey on what he preached, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. That, 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 has, that has gripped this man, that mind of Christ, which was willing to leave heaven and to end up in a worse place than Paul's. Because no care package came to Jesus on the cross. Let his mind be in you, which was in my Savior, my Master. I can do all things through him, as long as my mind is on Jesus. Is your mind on Jesus? Ask yourself, when you become to complain and you begin to get disgruntled and with life and circumstances, ask yourself, what is my mind on? Is my mind on Jesus? Am I tracing him today? As he left heaven and walked through the earth into the deepest hell, there to die for me. Saints of God, are you living with Christ before you? Day by day, rooted and embracing him by faith. That's what the apostle did, didn't it? He's meditating on him and he's leaning on Jesus himself 
when he, when he, when he exhorts the, the Philippians in chapter 2, Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He is leaning on this. He is needing this also. Notice in the text, it is Christ which strengthens me to be like this, brethren. It is not anything in me. It is him. And undoubtedly, the Apostle Paul is, is seeking that as he prays in chapter 3. Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. And as Paul is meditating on these truths, he experiences Christ which strengtheneth me. As I was studying this week for my evening message, I came across a little discovery I didn't even know. When God created Eve and helpmeet for him. You know that God himself many times uses that word helpmeet to refer to himself. Ah, that was stunning to me. He's my helpmate. This is what Paul says. I don't do this by myself, brethren. It is Christ which is my help, who strengthens me, who, who comes in my weakness, who comes in my, in my, in my fears, who comes in my emptinesses, and he fills me. Listen, he says, in uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 17, 16, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, it may not be laid to that charge. But notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengtheneth me. There. There you have it. The Lord stood with him. That's the secret. It is that which enabled Paul to preach. As he says in 1 Timothy 1 verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me for that he counted me faithful. He's enabled me. And it is him that, that is that divine pulse that is, that is in Paul when he, when he's preaching. He says, I labor striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily. You see, the root of this secret of this life is the life of faith. And none of us will ever be content without a living faith uniting us to the fountain that ever flows into our lives. Constantly. If we don't interrupt the flow with lousy Christian living, complaining or whatever other sin. If we don't work out our salvation we have received in the wonderful finished work of Christ and his commitment to be with us and we don't work out of that with fear and trembling we're going to miss the flow of this divine sap of the Spirit. 
that Paul here shares. I can do all these things to Christ which strengtheneth me. It is the spirit of Jesus flowing in him that enables him to say in the chapter we read, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. Most gladly I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon them. Brethren, I take pleasure in my infirmities. I take pleasure in my reproaches and my necessities and my persecutions and in my distresses. Wow, I have a long way to go to say that in my life. I have to be honest. I take pleasure. But this man did. And he didn't do it because he was just a super saint. He did it. Listen well. He was a super weak saint. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This man couldn't live a second in that prison being content without Christ. Strengthening him. Blessed be God if we are weak like him. We got way too much in our own strength yet. Look at Stephen. How did he love his enemies when he is being stoned to death and pray for their salvation only because Christ is in him. How can Peter finally lay down his life as he did for the Lord? Because Christ is in him. How can John Patton leave his comfortable home in the British Isles to preach the gospel among the cannibals in the New Hebrides and Pranatua and the Pacific Islands? How could this man bury his wife and his child. And how could he flee the island because he's afraid he's going to be killed and eaten? Return a few years later to the same place. How can these men do that? Christ in them. Nothing else. This is not the glory man. This is not the glory any man. It's the spirit of Jesus that enables And that will enable us, saints of God, to do all things also through Christ, which will strengthen us. We're going to look at that, verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And therefore, dear beloved fellow saints in Christ, let us be of good courage this morning. All the world will have tribulation. The one will be followed by the other. We'll have our trials, whatever it will be, but be of good cheer. Christ has overcome. And when we live by faith in him, we will overcome too. We may be sifted, we may be sorted out a little bit. We will be humbled, our pride will be cracked. Our spirit of independence will be broken. Our strength will be seeping out of us. We will be weaker and weaker. And as we are, we'll be stronger and stronger. 
because Christ will be in us. Be of good cheer. Don't fear when the mountains rage and when the waves surge and the earth trembles and the river rises. We have a promise this evening, this morning. And let me close with that. And that is a promise which has the words in it, thus saith the Lord. Hebrews 13, let's listen. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Don't envy. Don't think, oh, I wish I had his or her portion. Stop doing that. God knows what portion you and I need. He's measured your shoulder, but he also knows your sin. And that's why he measured as well as framed whatever he saw fit in your life. He knew Paul. Paul admitted, man, if I didn't have all these afflictions, I would be the proudest peacock walking over the earth. And God has to keep me low. And that's why I had a thorn. Maybe you have a thorn. Listen to what Jesus says. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content. With such things as you have, for he that saith, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Blessed are you, saints of God. But I feel sorry for all of you here. Who are not by faith united to Jesus. You face a world full of fear, with a heart full of fear also. Don't be kidding yourself, because there's fear in the heart of everyone that is not saved. There's a lot more, but also fear. You miss that only comfort in life and in death, to belong to the faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Come. You feel what you missed this morning. As you listen to this man, this prison, while you live in your palace, you feel what you missed this morning. Let that drive you to the throne of this great Jesus. Say, Lord, enroll me today in this school thou taught the apostles. And have taught all thy children. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and blessed God, thank thee for this testimony, witness of Paul in this letter. And yet as we saw, Lord, it is really not a witness about Paul. It is a witness about thee. Lord Jesus, 
It is thy power, it is thy grace that enabled this man to be so unhuman, to be so content in these so difficult circumstances. It's beautiful, Lord Jesus, what thou can do. And we pray that also every one of thy children among us may attain to this initiation of learning to be content in whatsoever condition thou art seeing fit to lead us. And Lord, grant us this grace to live and abide with Jesus daily, to look, to listen, to learn, to lean, and to live out of thee and unto thee. And blessed Lord, will thou be the fisherman today. Fish for those uncaught fish this morning. Who comfort themselves with the things they have or the things they want to have and who are consumers of joy rather than habitations of it. We pray for that grace to be given to them also this morning. Please, for thy name's sake, for Jesus' sake, amen.